Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio, featuring The Crew, where a former pro football player and a D3 All-Star use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about anything but. Now here's John and Tex. You're the first person I've talked about it on the air to. This is this is a PowerAthlete.com exclusive. And that's our lead-in. Power Athlete Radio, welcome to another episode of the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. I'm joined by my good friend, Brett Bartholomew. Brett, how you doing? I'm doing okay. I notice you have the FM DJ voice on, so I'm going to match that. Please do. It's it's like that old family guy with the dingo and the baby. You remember that one? I, I was wondering if we had the ham horn that starts us off like, oh. Ham. Yeah, that one. You know what I mean? Or the thing that just goes, wham, 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 you know, when it gets, go- oh, here oh, it is. Oh, the DJ on. horn? Get ready. I hope you could hear that on your end. Oh, it, loud and clear. I'll Good. leave all the sound effects to you. Please do. And when I hear radio sound effects, I immediately jump to, uh, I, I think it was <coughs> Wayne's World 2, Wayne's World 2, when they go in and talk to that dude about Wayne stock. <laughs> and they're going in and he's just exchanging all these uh, tr- eight, eight tracks for all these sound effects. And they're like, oh, yeah. you're not even listening to us, are you? <laughs> and he's like, uh-huh. And then they it's started insulting him. Yep. Wow. It's great. It's good reference. Well, all right. Let's, let's lead off with that new book. You have this amazing book that has changed many careers and the trajectory of many young coaches out there. What's on deck for book number two? Yeah. Something that's very different. Um, you know, and this is something that depending on when this is released, right. Could be out the end of what are we in the end of 2021 could be 2022. We don't know. Cause we're going a little bit different route with publishing. And so it's not all, it's not all in our hands. And, um, yeah, but this is going to be something that I think is, I don't know. I, it's going to be one of two ways, right? And I'll, I, I've called it before on my own show on our podcast, but I, you know, I, there's going to be a large percentage of people that are going to be like, mm, not as good as his first one. He should have stayed in his lane. He should have done this. It's very much like, you know, the, no matter what people just want you to do the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over over again. And I also think that this is going (laughs) to irritate some of the people out there that are really safe and sound in the whole servant based transformational based leadership coaching models, right? Like anybody that solely identifies as a quote unquote servant based leader probably won't like it, but that's okay. It's not, you know, it's not for them. And the, the reality is, is any, any good piece of work or art or anything like that should be a bit polarizing, right? Like I have mm-hmm. no interest in writing a book that everybody agrees with. I have no interest in writing a book that is the same thing I've done in the past. I have no interest in doing work that's safe. And so people can either look at this and say, huh, that's a perspective, you know, I need to be a little bit more open to, even if I don't totally agree with it. Um, I think there's a lot of other people that we've tested some of the content out that wholeheartedly agree with it. And it's, it's more like an uprising where they're like, good Lord, dude, it's time something like this was released, but you can never really win as an author, right? You're eventually going to make some people angry and it's challenging material, but it will be what it will be. We're excited about it. And it's a book that I'm glad we're able to kind of work on and, and get done. Let's, let's explore some pieces of it then. Can you explain servant leadership? How would you one line that for people and then also transform transformational? Yeah. You know, like servant based leader, a lot of this stuff, when we looked at uh, leadership models and we kind of, we kind of look at them as these protagonist based leadership models, these things that when you look at servant-based leadership and transformational-based leadership, and uh, another one in the literature is, you know, uh, uh, another one in the literature would be charismatic, you know, based leadership, all these kinds of pieces, they, they play at many of the same things, you know? And so, and, and what's been interesting is when we go into this transformational leadership and servant leadership are often used very interchangeably, but they're different. So I think like, you know, servant-based leadership at its core, like to, to use your one-liner relies on the principle that a manager or a coach or a leader really exists to serve their employees, right? Instead of the other way around, like uh, leaders believe that it, it, anything should be, their own interest should take a backseat to the needs, hopes, goals of the employees. 
um, and then also kind of fits into transformational theory in the way that it's always speaking to bigger values, group goals, team goals, team ambitions, all these kinds of things, right? So it's idealized leadership in, in many ways. Does that help you distinguish it too? Mm-hmm. Very much. Uh, and then the the charismatic, is that just really good speakers? Assume I mean, charismatic, it's interesting. Charismatic leadership is very much like, think of it as like kind of great man theory, you know, to a degree. Charismatic is, uh, you know, if we can, if we find people and, and we look up to leaders that generally speak to the the aspirations and, and the greater virtues and values of somebody that these people tend to be followed. I, I look at it as kind of, it's like Ted talk stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's that that's very much charismatic based leadership. And the issue is, is so much of leadership has focused on the leader and not the led, you know, and in leaders only lead with the consent of the led. And, and it's really, it's funny. Like think of your listeners, right? There's people listening right now that are leaders in one context and they're they're and this is not a term that we made up, right? This is in the literature. They're followers in the other context. So mm-hmm. a buddy of mine, very successful investment banker, the guy, you know, goes around the world dealing with people that have more money than God. He's a super humble dude, right? Like it's not, he doesn't really like that aspect of it. It's just part of the deal through the business that he represents. Um, but you know, when he goes and does jujitsu, which he just started, and he's a white belt, he's very much a follower. He's the lead, right? And so uh, a lot of things that these protagonistic models, whether it's charismatic leadership and uh, servant-based leadership and what have you, is they tend to omit the fact that like not everybody is all about rah-rah, inspirational team goals. I mean, you have a robust coaching background. Would you imagine you've coached some people that are probably a little bit more selfish in their goals and and they want to accomplish some stuff? And, and if you maybe just spoke to the team goals and all that, you probably would miss hitting the mark with them a little bit big time and current situation there there's different kids with different goals coaching lacrosse there's kids that want to go on and be more and take it into school and there's kids that hey i just want to have fun coach so there's finding fine-tuning where we still have to lead and speak to the the team as a whole it's finding time for each one of these individuals and getting to know them throughout the season that i've i've really really enjoyed. Right. So like if you, if you think of now let's contrast this, right? If you think of transformational leadership theory as, you know, we're trying to inspire followers on based on emotional appeals to achieve their full potential by transcending their own self-interest for the betterment of the team and yada yada yada. Well, I mean there's there's research, it's not even an opinion thing. There's research that says well when you look at the role of athlete narcissism in moderating that relationship of how well they relate or buy into a coach or a leader that does that, they show that a lot of the highest performers in their space, you know, have subclinical levels of narcissism. And I don't mean they're a full-blown narcissist, right? These things are dimensional scales. When you look at how psychologists or psychiatrists actually define these kinds of things, um, anybody with elevated confidence to some level exhibits a, a pattern of narcissism. It's not just like you're an extreme narcissist or you're not narcissistic at all. Right. And, and so without kind of getting into the weeds of that literature, what they find is transformational leadership doesn't work well with those people. Um, And all it takes is one really influential, you know, follower to completely disband that kind of leadership. And so people don't really know how to embrace darker aspects of themselves. This is stuff that we hinted at in conscious coaching. We talked a lot uh, or a little bit about and, and previous work, but it's just this idea of like, there's this range of ways that we influence. And a lot of leaders have really bad power literacy. Like growing up, man, like I met a lot of manipulative people. And when I say growing up, I mean early in my career, different parts of my career, definitely now in my career, when we have to make deals with people based on course licenses, book deals, whatever, there's a lot of power brokers. There's a lot of people that will try to bend things to their will. That's just life. But like what leadership books out there really give us an ethical way to become more literate and how to navigate those power dynamics and the ugliness of leadership, the messy realities of leadership. Not a lot of them do. A lot of them are just like, you know, I don't know, you might have ones that take out to have hard conversations or might be things on negotiation. But I mean, like, how do you really deal with dark, manipulative people? And how do you really deal with the gray area? You know, like that, that's a big thing, man. Like the gray area, I'm, I'm a dad now. And uh, you know, parenting is the ultimate gray area. I just don't feel like we get a lot of education on that. 
And so the goal with this book is to help people become more power literate. Consider it like a modern day Machiavellian guide, right? But like to be used for good, not to be edgy and not to tell people like these things that are super contrarian. Like this is going to be the shit that you're going to want to give your teenager before they go out into the world when they think they know it all. Mm -hmm. And it's not based off just like a bunch of stories of Steve Jobs. It's, you know, it's real shit. It's real shit. That's flipping awesome. And I understand recently you went up into solitude to get some of this done. How was that trip? Yeah, good, man. I appreciate you asking. Yeah, it's tough. Um, I'm pretty easily distracted. Um, and <laughs> it's a big, it's a byproduct of me always chewing off more than I can probably swallow. I mean, when, when COVID hit, I just felt like let's leverage this. So, you know, doing a PhD to try to, um, you know, to make what we're doing from our live workshops to make it research backed and, and vetted, um, and trying to pivot the business in full and doing all these other things, bringing on new hires, having a little guy at home, you know, we can't afford daycare every day. You know, our little guy can go to daycare about three days a week. My wife now works for the company and, you know, you walk that line between when your phone rings or somebody emails you or somebody asks you for a favor, wanting to do those things for them. But at the same time, like I need, sometimes I just need people to leave me alone. Uh, because I, or I have to let them down and I have to say no. And it's funny, man, like people get really sensitive about that. You know, I don't know if you've been, but for as much of this culture that we have of like, yeah, put up barriers, protect your time, learn how to say no. People will tell you that, but they get really pissed when you say no. They get really pissed. Well, that's protect your time from everyone else, but me, you know, dude, a hundred percent. I was on a podcast recently and this guy was like, you know, I asked you to do it three months ago. And you said, no, I'm glad when we asked you again, something was more compelling. And he kind of said it in a snarky way. And I didn't know the dude. And I just said, listen, I, I hear you, man, but you need to understand that uh, sometimes it's just timing. You mm-hmm. know, when I reach out to people and I ask them, uh, you know, recently I've, I've had good conversations with Adam Grant in the past, right? He wrote the book originals and he's written some other books since then. And I reached out to him to see if he wanted to do a podcast recently. And he's like, Hey dude, you know, sorry, plates full. Like I don't go back in my corner and cry and put him on like the Steve Buscemi, Billy Madison, like (laughs) cross him off in your lipstick list. Yeah. I'm like, guys busy, you know, and I've been told no plenty of times by people, but, um, yeah, I just, I got away in some Northwest town in Montana. I've never been to before. I mean, there was like an avalanche and, uh, (laughs) it was, it was quite the experience, man, but I'm like holed up in this cottage by this frozen ass lake. People are snowshoeing outside. I'm just like, trying to get some writing done. Yeah. So walk us through it. Did this little place have power? Yeah, the place had power, but it had some weird vibes too. Like I wouldn't have been surprised if I was in like a a Stephen King novel, you know, like every day there was like a death escape, almost hit like deer at least three times. And I, you know, I grew up in the Midwest. I'm used to deer crossing the road. It's not like, oh God, never seen deer cross the road. These were aggressive deer nearly aiming for the car. Um, and then it was like, for some reason, $400 to rent a car in this town in Montana. And of course the car is like the four wheel drive was not solid and everything. So the beauty of it is it's all content, right? Mm-hmm. It's all, it's all friggin' content. And, uh, you know, you're, you're walking around and some of the, you expect a small Northwestern town in Montana or in Northwest Montana to be pretty hospitable. Some of these people would like glare at you and you're like, I swear to God, this is one of these towns where like, if you're an outsider, like they're going to eat you. Like you look like meat to them. But thankfully I was nobody's meat. Uh, Beard probably wasn't long enough, right? Beard wasn't long enough. And I think I made the mistake of like wearing one of those black you know, just those packable down coats, you know, those thin down coats and everybody there was wearing Carhartt and everything. So Mm. from what I hear, a lot of Californians have been moving to this area in Montana and buying like the biggest, most ostentatious houses on the mountain. And so they probably thought because I had my black coat that I was some Californian and I'm like, dude, I'm just here to friggin' write. Give me, give me the weekend special Dolores and let me go right. And I want the eggs sunny side up. There you go, man. So that was, that was good for your creative process. Yeah. I didn't get as much done as I wanted to, cause I'm good at creating more work for myself, but we're getting there. You know, we're getting there. I think the the biggest thing that's been a help for me is knowing what to pay for a good editor. Now, you know, we, oh, uh, all right. you know, you learn more about those kinds of things and I really value the folks that I worked with on conscious coaching. So that's not a slight to them, but like this relationship started earlier. 
I didn't mm-hmm. find, I didn't find my editors for conscious coaching until like year three of the book, you know? And so a significant portion of the book had already been written. So a lot of it was fixing. Whereas now I can work really well collaboratively with this person from the get go. And so that's been a huge thing. We did a whole podcast episode on art of coaching podcast recently on how to write, self publish a book, all those things. Cause we've gotten a lot of questions about that. But if anybody's listening, like I cannot, I cannot tell you how important it is to find just a good editor. It'll make you know, like most people are like, Hey, I'm going to send my friend a copy of the book or I'm going to send them stuff and get feedback. Nobody is going to give you feedback like an editor. You've actually paid to give you feedback, but people are busy. You know what I mean? Your friend's not going to read that shit. And if they do, they're going to be like, cool, man, you know, but they have nothing to compare it to unless they're an editor, of course. And that's, that's part of being a good leader is seeking out someone that's going to give you that, that candor, that constructive feedback. So, I mean, and an editor is almost paid to just tell you how much, Hey, this wasn't good. Yeah, man. And that, I mean, that's the other thing with this book, right? When I say that certain people won't like it, people have become, you know, the, the earliest title of it was devil's advocate. And it's not the title mm-hmm. anymore, which is why I'm telling you it. But like people have lost, it's like people are so scared of failure, humiliation, hard conversations, and the darker side of, of the world that we live in, that it's just, they rank themselves in what I call the BOB, the blanket of bullshit. Huh. And you, people don't want to be told their stuff sucks. You know, they very oh, yeah. much want one size fits all answers. I'm like, yo, it's better to be damaged than dishonest. And uh, I'm a firm believer that greatness is in the gray area. You know, the greatness is in the gray area of what you do and you can't get to the gray if you're scared of the dark. Um, but it's something I call a lot of coaches out in, in like a friendly way on. And when I say coach, I mean a leader of any kind, but man, you know, how many coaches are getting certifications, like 12 certifications in the same thing. They keep going to the same kind of courses. They keep going to the same. Well, we had a guy that was like, Hey, he he basically admitted, he goes, I avoided your work for a long time. And I'm like, well, why is that? And he goes, to be honest, it's just easier always learning more about fitness and periodization and program design than it is communication. Like looking at myself and you know, man, you came to Mm -hmm. our workshop. Like he goes, that is scary shit that's scary shit. And he's like, it's not, I can't go back to a manual and just figure that out. You know, I mean, there's people that will not even listen to the podcast episode you interview me on right now because they're going to be like, Oh, unless he's talking about training, I don't want to hear about it. I'm like, yo, how many episodes you need to hear about training? Oh yeah. No power athlete radio, the premier podcast in strength conditioning. We abandoned training conversation a long time ago. But it's funny because in one of the, I won't get into which group it was, but there's a Facebook group that's all strength and conditioning related. And they're like, what's the best training podcast out it? And your guys came up all the time training. They're like, oh, this one, this one, this one. These guys are the best. And you are, you're, you're wonderful. Um, but I think people are very scared of certain topics. And I think communication is one of them. This, this is a great segue. I was fortunate enough to take your valued course. And one of the ones I want to get into is the resistance to change. And mm. this is a very powerful segment for me because it, it bullet pointed some things for me to, to look for when communicating to athletes, parents, and employees, power athlete is expanding. So formulating different questions for C- and aiming to see how people would face challenges, change, there is no normal work day when you're working for the big guy. I will say that. So yeah. it, it was a powerful chapter for me to then look for these different things. And the, the key points, just to throw it out there and, and gen up some conversation here, tradition, suppression, suspicion, lack of vision, and your current perception. Can you put us in a position to how you bullet pointed and identified these to begin to share with individuals facing others that are, are with that, that closed mindset. Yeah. I mean, a lot of this is based off, you know, one of the guys that did the best job at, at really understanding change research, uh, change in anything was Kurt Lewin back in the 1950s. And he, you know, he had three phases and, uh, it's great because it was like changes, three steps cats. Um, but you know, he was like people generally like there's the unfreezing phase, right. Where like people come to realize, the old way of doing a thing is no longer adequate. And it could, it could occur 
as they begin to realize uh, or recognize an obvious crisis, which was ironic. That's how valued our online course started taking off. When we first launched it, it was kind of crickets. Like, you know, we it did well, but not as well as we anticipated based on everybody saying they wanted this thing, right? The course for those listening is heavily based around, you know, how to navigate an industry where you might feel stuck and burn out and, and all these things. And we had a lot of calls for that. And then when we created it, there were people like, oh, you know, I can't, I don't have the time and, you know, whatever. And then once COVID hit, sales of the course blew up and you would think that would make me happy, kind of made me sad. You know, it's like really you needed an emergency to happen to do the thing you said you needed to do anyway. But anyway, well, then there's the actual changing part. And that's where people are looking for new ways. And, you know, they try to find a promising approach. And then there's refreezing. Think of it as like encoding, right? Like okay. this is where the new approach is finally adopted. So, you know, people, uh, when when change happens, it's it's really not like they're they're stupid or stubborn, like their their lack of willingness or willingness to change. It comes down to their level of self-confidence, their risk tolerance. Uh, openness to new experiences. And then really what I think some people forget about their internal locus of control orientation, right? And and that's literally the things that determine whether somebody's going to change. It's not ignorance or inflexibility. It's a natural reaction from people that want to protect their self-interest and, you know, their own self uh, sense of self-determination. They want to be the ones in charge of that and they can't. So going to those categories you mentioned, you know, like opinion and tradition is like, yeah, I don't believe the change is necessary. Mm, I need more evidence or yeah, the problematic signs of this are kind of in the early stages. The lack of vision is, yeah, I don't really believe this can be implemented the way you're saying, or I don't know if I have the skills necessary to pull it off. You know, we see this all the time when I had, I had a guy in our mastermind group really wanted to build a speaking career, but then he kind of got freaked out and felt like, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I can market myself. I feel really uncomfortable. And I'm like, well, listen, dude, like it's pretty at a base level. It's pretty egotistical to think that people are going to just seek you out if they don't know anything about you. You know, that's what I always think so funny about people that demonize self-promotion and marketing. I mean, I get it. There's people that do those things in a really tasteless way, but there's also people that cheat when they run marathons. That doesn't mean all marathon runners are cheaters. And so I, I always tell them like, well, how do you think people are going to find out about you if you don't tell them? That's just, I mean, it's a world of 8 billion people. You think people are just going to like stumble upon your stuff. I'm sorry. You're going to have to promote it. Uh, suppression and a lot of what like my next book deals with is this idea of like, even if change would benefit a group of people, if there are certain people that are already in a position of power, let's just consider them a power broker or they're a defined stakeholder and they don't want them to have power, they feel threatened by it, which I've mm -hmm. come into a lot, they're going to they're gonna do whatever they can to blacklist you or to kind of do something else, right? There's been a lot of people that have tried to thwart things that I'm trying to do either because they didn't like, they felt like my work was threatening to them or, you know, I was too young and I shouldn't have this platform. Really weird shit. People do, I mean, I, one of our, one of our, the people that we worked with was actually running for mayor and the things they were trying to do to suppress them what was pretty interesting. I mean, they were trying to bring, you see this in politics all the time. They were trying to bring totally irrelevant subjects up, dig dirt from their past, all those kinds of things. Perception is like, well, I don't know if I really believe that this change is best for me, right? It's, it's, it's kind of at odds with values or ideas. It seems unethical. I mean, but this could be as simple as an athlete. You know, they, they want to do some kind of drill and the drill's, BS, you know, and you're trying to tell them why the drill is BS and why another drill is better. And they might be like, I don't know, man. You know what I mean? It seems like this one's, this one's pretty good. And then finally suspicion. And that's just people when they're not trusted, mm -hmm. you know? So if you look at opinion, lack of vision, suppression, perception, suspicion, these are by and large, many of the reasons people will reject change or the idea of change to begin with. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Big time. And I encourage, I 100% encourage any listeners out there to step into this course, no matter if you are a coach or any profession, it, it was powerful in perspective. And as, as I mentioned earlier, power athlete aims to grow here. This will help guide me and be a leader within bringing on people, getting them to understand our culture and me personally avoiding these biases. Well, so that's a prime example right there, right? Uh -huh. So like if we look at operationalizing these, 
there are some people that won't take the course because their perception is that it's only for coaches. And we've seen this before where people are like, well, you say coach and athlete, or you talk about strength and conditioning. And I'm like, well, yeah, like that's the world I came from. Right. Jocko Willink. I, I, I would love to ask him if like people are like, Hey man, I wasn't in the military. Does your book apply to me? Or, you know, Brene Brown, like, Hey, Brene, I'm not an academic, but I want to be vulnerable. It's, it's very interesting to see, and this ties into opinion and tradition. What I ran into a lot over the last five years is we crossed over from SNC to more stuff mm-hmm. is the outside world isn't used to somebody. There, there hasn't been another strength and conditioning coach that's gone really into leadership. And I didn't recognize that until we came up some barrier against some barriers. Like I missed out on a $20,000 speaking gig, more money than I could fathom for, you know, speaking simply because when I sent the media kit that these people wanted, they saw strength and conditioning in my background. And therefore they go, Hey, we're not really looking for somebody to give us a fitness speech. And I was like, Whoa, 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 no, that, that, that's not what I'm doing. Like, you know, your staff reached out to me and, and they're like, yeah, man, like, sorry. And so I had to learn how to market myself as not just a strength coach anymore, because I was getting basically marginalized just because they saw that and they didn't know what it meant. Dude, it's the craziest thing I had ever experienced. And we saw that with conscious coaching. There was a guy that was a a publisher that was like, sorry, I I don't understand your field. And I don't think there will be a market for this book. And so I think those are prime examples of where opinion and perception and vision and suppression and, and all these things come in is people don't realize you have to understand a lot of different ways to market yourself because people, people are very lazy in how they assess things and you will be judged by your cover very quickly. Mm -hmm. And this leads perfectly into my next question about getting, getting the job and you list some components that put people in the best position to understand how to appeal to the job they're going for. Uh, in particular, great at your craft, well-rounded skill set, professionalism, and likability. So, I mean, no matter the field, likability, in my opinion, is is 100%. It's it. Like, you got to show up every single day with a great attitude and not distract people in the wrong way. Otherwise, there's some resentment that starts to build up. They avoid you. And then when it comes to team projects, not not going to happen. I'm not working with that person. So, uh, I mean, there, it's important components that you're putting people in a position to understand, hey, all right, there's get the job, then finally be likable, keep the job. Yeah. Well, and listen, like there's a, there's a lot of research on this kind of stuff, uh, especially in the medical field. They're, you know, great one great article that kind of talked about, you know, doctors and, and on, I think it was oncologists in particular, but don't quote me on that. It's been a while since I've looked at the document. We have a presentation on it, but it's been a while since I've given that too. And it's, you know, do, do they get it and do they get me? And what they did is they started to look at a lot of this, you know, dichotomy between warmth and competence, right? And it's it's that same idea of like it's not just what you do; it's it's how you how you do it. Um, but it, it showed that I mean, really, when these patients came up and 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 met doctors that gave them tremendous care, you know, they went in depth in terms of explaining the diagnosis, the procedure, what they should do, how they can treat it. Literally, if that if that doctor or that physician was was pretty brief. Um, if that physician was kind of seemed impersonable and like, think about that, think, think about that term seemed like to not be personable. There's so much variance in that into what somebody believes is personable, but literally just the perception of you not being personable, whether that's, Hey, did they use my name? Uh, Did they touch my hand? Did they, did they do, I mean, the littlest things, literally degraded the rankings of these physicians. It almost had and And of course we want both. We yeah. want both. We want warmth and competence. But what they found is when, and, and I mean, you're talking about tons of sample, uh, a, a large sample size here. Most people said, Hey, if I had to choose, you know, I'm, I'm looking for warmth, you know, be, especially if these people are given difficult news or they're dealing with a significant problem. I mean, nobody wants to deal. Very few people want to deal with, uh, an asshole 
if, if, even if they're really knowledgeable. Now I understand there's some people that turn up their nose and they're like, well, you know, I don't know, not me. I'd rather have somebody that actually knows what they're doing. I could care less how warm they are, but like, you've got to think of it in context. You've got to think of that in context. I'd also say, yeah, but wouldn't you rather have somebody who is very competent and good? Like, that's what I always love about when people go back and forth on this kind of stuff is, you know, they, they always want to go back on the other thing. And I'm like, but you're missing the point. The point is to be both of these things. And you're not really training that. Like who goes, who goes to seminars to, uh, uh, you know, really assess and evaluate if they're coming across the right way, if they're, if they are coming, like if they do know how to meet people where they're at, they're like, well, I do that in my everyday life. I'm like, yeah, man. And you're in your friggin' vacuum, you know, in your <laughs> vacuum, you do that. But like getting around other people in other fields, like that's number one, I think our apprenticeship offers people is they've got to get around people in other fields. But, you know, I go on and on about that. Yeah. I mean, my, my final uh, earthquake moment from the course, it was right in the middle of it. And it was, it was in line with the, the keeping the job Uh, value is not the price utility. And then don't, don't seek to prove your value. And this, this jumped out to me because I mean, going up to parents saying my coaching resume and all this good stuff versus what I needed to do. And I now I have since done is aimed to, to seek to provide value. Hey, this is what I can do for your athlete, your kid, so on and so forth. And it was a change of communication and, and really perspective for me. I, I mean, I left the whole past behind and was able to now focus on the, the athlete in front of me and the, the team and the, the community really what's, what's cool yeah. now is just, sorry, keep no, seeing, seeing parents in the grocery store and then taking a moment and then small enough town where they meet, they see someone they know. And I get to be introduced to a person that has an up and coming kid who's, you know, now fifth grade. So it, it's, it is what I've always wanted in finding a, a community and then expanding within that and it all switched from instead of, all right, trying to shut off parents and focus on the kids to now, all right, they're my first go-to and I'll explain how I can provide value to their family and, and I mean, the dinner table, really leadership, so on. Sorry. <laughs> no, you don't need to apologize at all. It brings up an excellent point. Like that's another thing where you look at how values determine. And this is something that a lot of leaders and coaches struggle with. I use the term interchangeably is I think a lot of people think that, you know, when we talk about don't prove value, provide value. When I say don't prove value, it means, you know, people will do a lot of things to try to prove themselves. I went back to the, my Instagram post the other day, I talked about like this obsession with certifications and it's not a knock on all of them. I think you guys do great work. There's a lot of great work out there, but like there, my, my point with my Instagram post was that, you see people getting like 30 of the same kind of certifications. They keep going, man. And it's at some point, is this for you or is this for the people you're helping? Because if, if coaches, especially on the training side, were really worried about providing value to others, they'd have, you know, whatever training cert or license or what have you they need, but then they should also have something on coaching, you know, like actual coaching. Yet I think ours, what we do and, and aspects of what you guys do are really two of the only things that really focus on that. And ours, like we don't even do ours within a training context, right? Ours is overall communication and, mm-hmm. and understanding interpersonal skills and, and being able to work under chaos and resolve conflict or what have you. But I always laugh when somebody's got like, they've got like three certifications and different kettlebell shit. And then they got their USAW and then they have like five movement screen related ones and a mobility one. I'm like, yo, that's for you. That ain't for anybody else, you know, because your audience has no idea what those things are. They don't, not beyond a point. And so then look at the dark side of even providing value. Look at the world of social media right now where everything's a how-to video. You know, I know I'm a boring follow on on social media. You know, I, I say it in my bio. I am one of the most raw but honest people on the messy realities of leadership. There are so many people that DM me and are like, hey, show more about agility, show more of this my Instagram is not to like follow, like, Hey, here's what I do from a training standpoint. It's an extension of who I am and things that I believe on a daily basis. You know, I just share shit about me as a person and what I think about, and that's not going to get me 150,000 followers. And I'm cool with that, but here's what's worse that people don't understand. Everybody else is doing how to videos, how to fix your shoulder, how to fix your hips, how to squat appropriately, how to deadlift. Eventually all that just gets drowned out. And that is a gross assumption of what is value. 
mm-hmm. to your listeners. So I have a note, you know, in, in my phone sometimes, and this was surprising to me too, when, when people joined our mastermind coalition and all that kind of stuff, there were some people when we asked them like, what is value to you? And I'm pulling this up direct from a person that went through it. And they're like, listen, through these six months, I was able to shift my perspective on some things, remove some irrational fears and imposter syndrome, connect with other people who actually gave a shit about bigger order things. And you know what? I'll be honest. It even validated some of my beliefs about what I needed to do next. And he's like, that to me was value. Mm -hmm. He goes, it wasn't about how to set up an LLC. It wasn't about, you know, necessarily how to squat better. It was like you being able to remove fear and shift a perspective and put me around a bunch of people that would respectfully call me out on bullshit. So that's, what's funny, man, like value subjective to people. Some people value, we referred a friend to an electrician the other day. We got a $5 Starbucks gift card. Well, I'm appreciative of that. I could give a shit about a $5 Starbucks gift card. Okay. I appreciate it. I know there's some people that are like, yes, I would go get this right now, you know, but I'd rather have like, you know, there's different things that I'm going to value. Like, so anyway, I think that even that needs to be put under the microscope of what, what value we think we provide to people. I've learned that people, some people just follow me because they like my rants. They give a shit about anything else. They like my rant. I'm like, really? You like seeing me lose my mind? I mean, all right, (laughs) sweet. There's a number of people that have made their, their bones off just ranting on Instagram for 60 seconds. Yep. Well, the let's, so let's get into blind spot. I haven't had the opportunity to, to dive into this course yet, but you've, I know you've just released it a matter of weeks ago. What, what sparked this? Is this what the people asked for or it was your observation? Hey, this will empower a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, it was a mix, man. I mean, I think anybody that uh, the number one question, a lot of coaches, at least coaches that I hang around, you know, and uh, again, I mean, coaches, people from all fields typically ask themselves at night is like, am I doing enough? Am I doing the right thing? Is what I'm doing even making an impact, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so we hadn't really done anything yet. I think I've just, my own imposter phenomenon kind of moved certain things to the background when people, I, I tend to get one of three things in my inbox the most, right? Something about training athletes, stuff about communication, buy-in psychology, or other things about branding. How did you go out on your own? Because in strength and conditioning, when you go out on your own, and I'm not trying to be funny or indelicate here, right? When I'm about to say what I'm about to say, but I kind of got treated like I had cancer when I went out on my own. Well, like when I left API and when I left LA and, and all these things, like people assumed that something awful must have happened, one, to make me leave those places. And then other people assume that like, oh, he's on his own now. Good luck. You know, and I would have people actually call me and be like, hey man, like you doing okay. And it wasn't like in a friendly way. It wasn't like you would call me. It was literally like they were testing the waters. And what I found out as we had the conversation is they thought about leaving where they were at too. And a lot of this was like pro sports or whatever else. And they just kind of wanted to know how to navigate the terrain. And Mm -hmm. so once we had opened up our coalition mastermind and we had done that for about two years, I was like, I wonder if I could actually reverse engineer some of my experiences and tactics. And maybe people would find that helpful. Cause there are some people that were like, yo, I'd like some guidance, but I can't really afford to join the coalition right now. And I'm like, I hear you, um, you know, just wait till the next round and then do it when it's right. But then I'm like, well, let's offer them something that is more affordable, but still kind of like provides those tactics. And it's really broken down into four things, right? Like overcoming self-limiting beliefs. And that is, you know, nobody's going to care about what I put out or it's going to fall flat or it's not good enough, or I'm going to get called out. Or, you know, a lot of for coaches was just like, they didn't think anybody was going to care. So there's a whole module about that because no matter how mentally strong you are, sometimes you just think your shit sucks, you know, and and you don't really, there's times a year where I just don't like myself, you know, and I, th- I can't be the only one. Uh, phase two or module two is very much about like, vetting, vetting your, um, your idea, like, what is it you think you want to do? And some people have a lot of different ideas or it could be, I want to do a book or I want to start a business or I want to do a speaking career or a podcast or whatever, you know, they want to do something. And so we take them through every module has got three to four different lessons that get super tactical about how to actually do competitive analysis on these things on, on how to actually pressure test your idea. And we give them like tools and worksheets that they can do that. And then 
basically matching that with who they think their audience is. And dude, that's a scary thing. Most people have no concept and granted it's a tough, it's a tough thing to lock in. Um, you know, I still learn, I still learn this stuff, but like, you know, for example, when we ask people to just say like, you know, all right, well give us like a basic value statement. Who do you help? What, what we'll hear a lot of times is, uh, I help people of all fitness levels, you know, get in better shape or I help athletes achieve their goals. Well, that, that shit's not really specific, right? Like specific is I help newly divorced fathers who are experiencing financial issues, get back on their feet by learning, you know, how to become more entrepreneurial. Or I help accountants who are employed by online businesses, streamline their systems so that these companies with multiple streams of revenue don't overwhelm them. Those are really, really, really clear value statements. Like Mm -hmm. I, I help coaches and leaders who are trying to navigate the messy realities of leadership, get their message across clearly, remove obstacles and get, you know, work done more efficiently. Like I have five or six permutations by this. So the, the point is, is, you know, you, you try to help people overcome their beliefs, see their bind spots, identify who their audience is, really vet their idea, learn how to market it ethically, you know, and effectively, like what should you price your stuff at? How do you know? How do you make sure, you know, that, that it's even meeting the market? Um, are you think about how many coaches, you know, they try to prove that they're better by just getting on and arguing. That's not differentiation, right? Differentiation is, um, think about it this way. You know, you have, you have Walmart, their form of differentiation is to appeal to a very broad market and be a low cost leader. Well, compare that to Dollar General, right? Dollar General is also a low cost leader, but they don't offer everything that Walmart does, right? And they don't try to. Um, think of like, start. we mentioned Starbucks earlier. Starbucks, they're, they're relatively pricey for a cup of coffee, but they're a global market. Mm-hmm. Now think of like local roasters in your area. It may also be a little bit pricey, but they always, they just want to go narrow. I think then if there's people that ride motorcycles, you have like, uh, you know, uh, Ducati motorcycles, or if you like automobiles, you could think of like Tesla. If you go to Tesla, this is another quadrant of differentiation. Tesla only makes EVs. You're not going to get a gas vehicle from Tesla. And so you have everything from like, you know, global and low cost leaders to hyper specialized things. But most people don't even look at where they actually offer differentiation and don't know how to identify that. They're just like, no, this person sucks and my shit's better. I'm like, yo, I'm sorry. You're basically just trying to say that I should buy your bottle, your your brand of water because it has a different label. Both you guys are water. You're both <laughs> trainers just trying to get you know, like, I don't notice differentiation there. And so, yeah, think of it as like, um, think of it as almost kind of business school for people that have never got a chance to learn how to like find their strengths, learn who needs it the most and understand how to get it to them in an ethical and values driven way. Sounds powerful. I'm looking forward to, to diving in soon. I get the opportunity. There's one more opportunity. This is what we call a smooth transition, Brett. You have the smooth transition. I'm looking forward to at the end of March. The, the Leadership Summit, please explain the, the Leadership Summit. to We got a twic, quick turnaround for this episode, so they have plenty yeah. of time to register. Yeah, I mean, bottom, again, just kind of calling all of us out on our own bullshit a little bit. I think uh, how many times uh, how many times this year or in general have you heard the phrase of like, you know, learn from everybody, you know, learner, leaders are lifelong learners and, you know, get together and sharpen the sword and iron sharpens iron, right? You heard this phrase much? Oh, all, all the time. Not just this year. Yeah. Right. You hear it all the time. And then, but, and by the way, I'm guilty. Anything I make fun of, I'm guilty. I think, you know, I'm, I'm selfish man in that I make things that I wish I had, you know, I like, if I complain about something, I challenge myself to be like, all right, do something about it. And so I think I just got really tired of going to clinics and workshops, whether it was SNC or others where like every speaker was in almost the same field you know, you go to, you go to a workshop, whether it's virtual or live for strength and conditioning or performance, you can bet it's going to be a physical therapist or a strength coach or a sports scientist. Like I, and I consider those are all the same broad field of performance. You know, mm-hmm. they really are. I mean, people can, 
you can tell me whatever you want. Like that's performance, right? We work holistically in performance environments and those things. Um, you know, there were other things I went to that were mainly academics or engineers. And I'm like, why don't we put something together that is like all of this? And so we created something called the communication and, and leadership strategy summit, where the goal was to get professionals pan domain. So we have Edward Coughlin, who has done a lot of coaching research and, and he's based out of the UK. We have Andrew Leslie, who is in charge by and large of, of the Adidas innovations team. I mean, this guy oversees style and design of things that won't be released until 2028, 2032. They're doing things with synthetics. Like one of the people that works with him works with Kanye West and Pharrell, and he's a good buddy of mine and, and all these things. And, and so like, they're doing a lot of stuff in innovation and design of apparel. You have known names like in our, in our field, like Kelly Sturette and Matt Jordan. Um, Nikolai Morris is talking about a lot of, uh, different things that women go through, but like not in this like kind of women need to be given equal opportunities. And for sure that's important. I'm not using that voice to mock that. She's going to kind of push back and be like, yeah, but a lot of these women are approaching it in bullshit ways, right? Like a lot of these topics, man, are, they have one rule. Everybody speaking has one rule. You have to come with something that is the ugly reality of leadership. This is not, this is not education about like, like Kelly Soret is not coming on to talk about how to improve your mobility, right? Like these people are coming on to talk about uh, like, how do you engage audiences virtually? How do you, um, one person, Carl Coward in, in investment banking is talking about how do you even learn how to read the room? This guy has to go in and work wow. with Richard Branson one moment, and then he has to work with a coal miner the next. And he needs to know how to present himself in accordance. And he's going to talk about times where he put his foot in his mouth. Um, we have a gentleman named Rudy, Dr. Rudy Anaba, who's like, he, he does a lot of stuff in, um, in, uh, 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 hormones and, and, uh, the different aspects of, of health and wellness and longevity, Rachel Yanez, who works with members of the military is going to talk about mindset bullshit. I mean, it's great. So the, the overall arching theme is, Hey, uh, all of our audience that's attending is tired of Ted talks. They're all tired of just education these people want to know what you do when shit went wrong in your industry or in stuff that you did so they can extract it. So again, we want to own all things, messy realities of leadership. That's our thing with art of coaching. And so we wanted people in every field to do that. So yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how many people do or don't sign up because they don't recognize the names. Right. Cause we know like if we reached out to you and John and we reached out to like, you know, Dan, John, and we reached out to Mike Boyle and we reached out to some other people, people are going to be like, yeah, I'll sign up just cause I recognize the name. Quit signing up. Cause you recognize the name sign up. Cause you want to get into some raw and real shit. Uh-huh. Like, you know what I mean? Like just do it. I get that you like certain people. That's cool. I do too. But like, there's a lot of people out there that haven't been given a voice that have really good stuff, man. Oh, yeah. and, and that's what we want to do. Well, I would argue that's that's also a promotion for your podcast, The Art of Coaching, because we can trust that you go out of your way to break some shit and bring in some people to challenge the way you think. Now, I can't even imagine the power these people are going to bring if the podcast you're putting out is so powerful that they may not be the name yet. Well, and, dude, and think about it, right? Like, think how many people listening right now have something that they want to share, but they have no platform. They don't, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, and like that, to think that people without a name uh, or a recognized name shouldn't like, shouldn't have these opportunities. I mean, here's the thing, man, five of these speakers have literally never spoken before in this kind of context, because the, the individuals that contract them, we'll just say it this way, the people they work for, that would, that would have been a breach of contract. I mean, these, some of these people work with high ranking government officials. Some of these people have contacts with the like of, of Jay-Z. Some of these people have the contacts with, with a lot of folks that they had binding agreements with that they could never speak. So this is literally going to be the first time they've aired anything out. And we're also doing it in a format where some of these people are speaking for 40 minutes and then I'm going to jump in and kind of push back on them, you mm-hmm. know, in a friendly, but purposeful way. It's my job to kind of be the friendly devil's advocate of being like, I think that's bullshit, you know, or let's, let's, let's imagine this didn't happen. I think the thing that kind of upsets me though, text man, and I, I wonder if you feel like this is, 
I'm getting disheartened more and more by some people that attend these things. I feel like audiences more and more are wanting stuff, but they bring no accountability into it. I feel like a lot of people are just consuming, but they're, they don't want to like ever get involved. And then they just want to complain about shit and it's getting worse, dude. Yeah, I would the my experience on that would be a practical presentation within one of the big conferences and how we battled that actually a power athlete with our symposium is it was a forced practical application. Yes, injury, you got to sit on the sideline, but we there was no options. How we ran an event was the time was dedicated to a speaker. I didn't like options where you could you know, go select somebody. No. Hey, this person's awesome. We respect them enough to bring them in. Now we're going to force you to sit there and watch them. And then while during our practicals, it was how we operated it at the time. Who knows for the future symposiums, but we had three stations, about 30, 40 minutes, station one, station two, station three. And we just hit it for a good 90 or so minutes where people were forced to move and learn and then we were able to, to, to rehash it, but that practical, and I know you've been there with certain, uh, big conferences where, all right, I need some volunteers and oh, there's a hundred people just staring at you and you're like, all right. And I'll demo myself. Yeah. And one, well, it goes the other way too. Like I, I got, uh, I had to do a virtual presentation the other day on buy-in and there's like a thousand people, you know, on this zoom or whatever. And, uh, I, about 10 minutes into it, I just stopped and I go, listen, what do you guys want to know? You know what? Like, let me cut the slides off for a minute. Like throw out the notes, yeah, Let's- man. Like just what do you, cause I'm so tired of like just being a dancing monkey and being like, and then no matter how many times you put up, here's how to apply it in this job. Here's how to apply it in this job. Somebody at the end's like, but how do you apply it if you mow lawns for a living? And I'm like, like, why do we want to think paint by number? So what we did, we're just like, what, what do you guys want to know? And, um, it's interesting, man. Like some of the questions were, what book should I read? What this and that? I'm like, we've got to get past fucking questions like that. Mm -hmm. You know, here, here's an uncomfortable truth. When you're asking somebody, and this is going to be a hot take, man. Um, I gotta, I gotta take a minute before I, uh, when, when somebody asks what, what job, what like internship I should take or what book should I read and whatever. Let me say it this way. I, I get it. I understand what, what they're asking, but what they don't understand is what they often convey when they ask something like that is they're not ready. They're not ready. And, and here's what I mean to ask somebody what books they should read. There, there's layers to that question, right? Like, Hey, I'm having trouble with a particular colleague at work and I'm trying to refine how I communicate around those kinds of constraints. What book should I read? Hey, I don't fully understand speed biomechanics and it's led to some injuries of some athletes I've trained. What book should I read? Hey, I don't understand, right? Like we get, that's a, that's a question, mm-hmm. but for somebody who does it? Like, I don't know you. If you ask that question, if you stand up and I don't know you and you give me no context and all those things, and you're just asking what books should I read? I want to know what, what kind of answer you're expecting, you know, because if I really wanted to be an asshole and I'm not, you know, all the time, like I have out of coaching.com, like forward slash reading list, you can go right to it. But, um, and that's for like strength and conditioning professionals, but also whatever. If somebody's just going to, if my son wakes up or grows up and goes, Hey dad, what book should I read? I'm going to give him some fiction, some nonfiction, some finance, some science, some this and that. It's just, it's interesting. And when somebody says, what, what internship should I take? Dude, I don't know you. Mm-hmm. Like you're putting a lot of, uh, I don't know one that allows you to learn. And so this is what I mean by audience accountability. People are getting really lazy because they're friggin' scared to be wrong Yet, if you're scared to be wrong and you want one size fits all answers, don't be surprised when shit crumbles around you because one size fits all is for nobody. It is. It's for nobody. One size fits all nearly got me killed. Fitting into a one size fits all healthcare model is how I nearly lost my life. And today's predominant leadership model is broken the same way. We want to prioritize something that's centered on adaptability and prioritizes fit. 
But if you don't let us know the context in which you operate, nobody can give you a good answer. And that's why all these people are mad. Well, I'm tired of Zooms. I'm tired of conferences. I'm tired of this. Well, you bring really shitty questions to the table. You do. Mm-hmm. You know, like leader, leaders are a reflection of the lead. So yeah, anyway, but that's, that's March 20th and 21st. Uh, you just go to artofcoaching.com forward slash summit and uh, it, it's there. But dude, it's why, it's why I respect you. Like I've seen you routinely call yourself out on your own bullshit. You're super hard on yourself. Yeah. And I'm, I'm coaching some middle schoolers. So aiming objective there personally is, I mean, the, the pay isn't worth the time, but at the same time, it's my opportunity to uh learn learn how to lose and that's a great be, phrase learn how to lose be a model for these young men of how to manage manage stressful situations and aiming to to send that message man and the, the dinner table is my biggest um the biggest goal with these young men at this age group and you know being an advocate for the parents versus uh, an enemy in the the great state of Texas, because man, some of these parents, they're difficult, but aiming to, to <laughs> be a beacon for the, my, the, my community. The great state of Texas. I, yeah. I can imagine that some of them are, uh, I mean, I remember just in Arizona and Florida when I, when I, I mean, even now just living in ACC country or SEC country, although, you know, I don't work with a ton of kids right now. And uh, that's not saying anything. Cause I love, I think working with kids is amazing. It's just a manifestation of like, well, you know what I'm doing right now. But like, the point is, is I just remember some guy, old guy that would come in and they're like, the guy's just name's coach. Hey, sir, what's your name? I'm coach. You know, you can just call me coach. The guy's got like four rings on his finger. He looks like the, the coach from the water boy. I just oh. like, I want you to, I want to know, I want you to know that uh, my grandson over there has got an arm stronger than Matthew Stafford. And I'm just like, okay. Uh, he's like, he's 12 years old, but he plays like a 16 year old and you're going to train him like a 16 year old. And I'm like, Hey coach, Get the hell out of my face. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, there, there's some tough convos like that. But hey, man, starting to welcome them and using a lot of the tools and techniques that uh, taken away from your online courses and then your apprenticeship in person, which hell of a lot of fun. And I'm looking forward to when that back is back live they're and back. in person. They're live, man. They're, live. they're going. Yeah, they're live. We like, I mean, literally, this is the first podcast we've announced them on, but We've uh, we've done mainly in services right now, just with uh, a lot of like pro sports teams and and then some corporations and and uh, law enforcement and things like that. But because you know, while I, like single facility owners prior were were pretty scared just because I don't know and COVID or what have you, but we've only had one you know not sell out, and that was right at the beginning of the pandemic. I mean, you came to one right when the pandemic was going, and and that was a smaller private insurance. But these things are small, right? Like for anybody oh, listening, yeah. don't string me up. We're not running 20, 30 people. People aren't like Ace Ventura, you know, when nature calls, when they're hawking loogies into each other's mouth as a way to say hello, and they're like, oh, I that, like you. That's funny you mentioned that. This is the second time that that's been referenced today. During oh, training, really? we got... I'm trying to recall. Oh, it was the Rhino. On Power Athlete Radio today, we interviewed Ian the Rhino, uh, freaking jacked bro on Instagram. And immediately all of our minds, John and I just went to the Rhino scene. From <laughs> yeah, I remember that. But when nature yeah, calls. They are back on. Um, they're not for everybody. So if you're listening and you don't want to uh you don't want to get out of your comfort zone, do not come. Uh, don't. I will say this. It is as awkward as Ace Ventura coming out of that rhino's bum hole. Like that's a great marketing. Thanks for that. You're going welcome. to our apprenticeship is as awkward. Unpack that for me, will you, buddy? Uh, 100% because there is nowhere to hide. A lot of in, uh, improv principles are presented. And as a coach and as a, a speaker, really, it's all right. Routine, get to my points, be clear. And then all of a sudden now I got to think of my feet. All right, all these different fun games. I'm not going to spoil anything for anyone because I want them to have that same experience that I had. But 100%, it is a stressful, in in a great way, opportunity for you to empower yourself and learn to think on your feet and really bring the seriousness down that you present to the weight room or the boardroom and all of that to get 
get really focused in man, enjoy the art, the opportunity, or whatever you're able to apply the tools that you take away from the apprenticeship. Do you remember, um, thank you for that, by the way, do you, do you remember, and he's a good friend, he's a PT that's helping me with my uh, shoulder, but do you remember the individual and we were doing kind of the warm-up activity where they had to think of, you know, six words that began with L and, you know, they're on a time limit and and anybody right now could do, right? Like if I just said, hey, think of six words that that rhyme with L, right? You could say uh, lamp, you could say leg, you could say ligament, right? Like give me mm-hmm. one. Yes. A loser. Loser. Um, <laughs> I'm not, not, we you, doing, not we were, you. We were doing an activity on how, you know, sometimes recall can be flighting when you're uh, put in a constraint-based scenario. And in this one, this guy was timed. He had to maintain eye contact in a really awkward way with a relatively large group of people and uh, a large group being like 10, you know, or what have you. Uh, And we do some other things that, again, I don't want to give away. And he was, and he's a wordsmith, man. He's great. But he's, he's like lake, lamp, uh, lig, uh, lig. Time out. Did you just say lig? And long story short, he couldn't, think of those six terms. And uh, this was just like a warm-up activity to, again, focus on recall under pressure and, and, and talk about constraints. But there's moments like that where he was so pissed for three weeks after he's like, dude, I can't believe I couldn't come up with six words that rhyme with, or that start with L. And I'm like, that, yo, that's the point. Sometimes uh-huh. when we need the right thing to say at the right time, it, it it's not there. It's not there. And, and you've got to learn how to overcome those things. So anyway. Oh yeah. And the more I would recommend doing those games and I aim to bring them to the office for some fun stuff. But some of those that I got up on, they, 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 I held on to them for a little bit, little bit longer than I should have. Which one? The, the presidential debate, debate the charades. presidential debate one. Yeah. Yeah. Which some of those, the, the words that I had to, to, to guess as the candidate speaking for my, my embezzling my town. Or no, dude, were you on the group that won? Did you win? We, we did, but it was like Oprah embezzles. But honestly, man, you let us hang out there for 10 minutes trying to figure out with charades embezzle. I forget I mean, what she was one. embezzling, but like that, that was the difficult word. But so here's the thing though, my, one of my old neighbors used to be uh, a criminal profiler for the FBI. And, you know, I, I, it's funny. I think some people struggle to understand. And thankfully I, I say this, but nobody, I very much project because nobody's ever come to an apprenticeship and been like, I think we've had one person ever be like, I don't get the point of this thing. You know what I mean? And then we had to go into a long diatribe of lateral thinking and understanding. But like, uh, I remember talking to the gentleman that was a, a criminal profiler and he's like, you know, those TV shows are nice. He goes, but these people don't give you a lot. And oftentimes it is very much looking to something that you would have never guessed or stumbled upon. It's, it's not obvious, right? For as much as our world loves to talk about verbal and nonverbal, there's so much more context that people just don't know how to pick up on in, in, in a way and connect the dots. And a lot of that is what that is, you know, and, and conversely, we've had a lot of words then and phrases and situations that nobody thought they would get and they get it because it's all about attunement, right? You have a partner, communication is a dyadic experience. There's, there's multiple people going on and it's this shared process of meaning making, so it's not that you couldn't come up with the term embezzled. It's that your partners did a kind of shitty job of leading you there. If you recall, they kept doing the same thing over and over and over again. And that's very much like coaching. Hey, Timmy, I want you to, you know, perform a clean. Here you go. Bend your knees, hands just outside your thighs. Da, 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 da. Kid doesn't get it. And then how they how do they tend to fix it? More words. Louder. How do they tend to fix it? Go ahead. Knees out. Louder. They just more screaming. Yeah. Right. Or man, like when I fought competitively, you know, I remember my coach being like, jab, jab. And I'm like, yo, I know I need to throw my jab and I'm throwing it, but I don't know what you're seeing. Right. And, or like in, in MMA, like you'll hear people be like hips, hips, what with my hip? And not only that, like you can't hear that, like as a fighter and like, I, you know, I, I didn't fight pro, but I did golden gloves and I fought like, I don't hear that shit because there's so many other people yelling. And even if I hear you, I don't know what you're telling me to do. So you've got to find a more novel way to get that message across. But people that get frustrated, they're like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. And I'm like, yo, 
then just embrace that and have some fun with that. It's okay to not know what to do. Here's the tagline. Where else do you get a rehearse for some of life's biggest moments? Like, where do you ever get a practice communication? You don't. And so like come and mess up and understand that even I jump into these things and sometimes I slaughter it and sometimes I get slaughtered. Like uh-huh. when, when we ran our first one after the pandemic, dude, it was embarrassing. There were a couple ones that I had to like, ah, get out of presenter mode and get into this. But I, the, the attendees love it because then I'm not some sage on the stage, you know, being like, like I get better over the course of it too. It's a muscle. You watch whose line is it anyway? Wayne Brady ain't always the best one. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's a mix. Yeah. Highly recommended course. And I mean, it, there's a forced humbling <laughs> real quick. That's you have the phrases, man, the force, the force humbling. I like that. That's good. The, well, I, yeah. I'm glad people like you come, dude. We just need people that think, and like you came not trying to prove anything. You came totally like somebody could have called you out on something. And you have one of those minds texts where you're just like, this is good data. This uh-huh. is good data for me where some people, and sometimes it's these, we had a coach that spent 20 years in the NBA, got so pissed at a 19 year old personal trainer, giving him feedback on something. And it took a woman that worked in human resources for this huge company to say, yo, she didn't say, yo, but like you're getting mad at somebody for giving you feedback, even though he represents some of your target demographic, you know? And, uh, he had to get called out by somebody in another field to feel less threatened. Coaches are some of the most insecure people in the world. Mm-hmm. And they don't, the, the, nobody is a bigger pain in the ass to coach than coaches. I will say that. I've learned that now wholeheartedly. What have I learned most in the last 15 years? Coaches are a way bigger pain in the ass to coach than athletes. Yeah. I believe similar experience, but then there are plenty that are <laughs> coach able. And those are seeking out the podcast. Those are those will have an opportunity to sign up for your events throughout the year, but especially the one coming up here, March 20th. You got to open door whenever you want, buddy. You know Uh-oh. what I mean? So anytime you want to come, man, come to Austin and then we'll, we'll set up some, uh, some events around it. Apprenticeship there, And then you guys got all weird with COVID and the person had to cancel and you know what? We need to just do a co-event at HQ. Oh, okay. Yeah, we'll we'll wrap after this, listeners. This is, I guess, a preview for it. But in the meantime, get on artofcoaching.com. Brett, where else can they follow you? Right there. Artofcoaching.com will take you to my Instagram. It'll take you to my book. It'll take you to any of these things. The podcast where we have made it idiot proof. And I'm not saying like literally like if, if you're like, where's a book? It's on Amazon. Where's everything? Artofcoaching.com. All of our courses are there. Um, yeah, there's no, there's no evil agenda here. We're just trying to be people that I, I grew up and I got a lot of advice that was like, keep your head down, think positive. And those things are all great, but that doesn't always work in life. You have to learn how to deal with dickheads. You have to learn how to get out of your own way. That's the space we live in. We're just trying to do good things. We're not trying to make anybody feel any other way other than empowered. So like, check it out, expand yourself, you know, and, and come learn some new stuff. Yeah. I, I took a lot of notes today while I'm here. I always write down during our podcasts, the, the one I'm going to circle here to share was, do they get it? Do they get me? Yeah. Warmth plus competence. Boom. All right. Thank you for power athlete nation. We'll talk later. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. And if you like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye!